Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. The Clean Energy Finance Corporation is Australia's green investment bank. Over the last decade, the CEFC has deployed more than $10 billion to invest in decarbonizing Australia with an annualized cumulative return of 4.24%. But almost more importantly, because of their co-investment model, each dollar of CEFC capital attracts a little bit more than $5 of additional private capital to projects, which is a fantastic catalytic effect. For this conversation, we're going to talk with Executive Director Richard Lovell to talk about the past decade and the future of green investment in Australia. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Excellent. So 2023 marked the 10-year anniversary for the CEFC, Richard. Uh, In what ways has the mandate for the CEFC expanded or evolved, and how has it stayed consistent over the years? It's an interesting question. The... um uh, they've seen, we've obviously seen both um, changes and and consistency. So uh, I joined eight years ago, uh, mm. or a little over eight years ago now. Um, what what has remained the same is obviously that the organisation has had a very strong focus around catalyzing investment, uh, mm-hmm. as you've talked about, and the core technologies and energy outcomes that we've sought to achieve have remained you know, largely consistent. So mm-hmm. the sort of tasks that you hear people talking about a lot in terms of the need for an energy transition in Australia um, have remained pretty similar. We've done a lot mm-hmm. of work around the electricity sector, but equally we've we've consistently sought to try and support um, emissions reductions across as many sectors as we could within the Australian economy. So we've always had an active focus around sectors like transport, around property. Um, we've We've added sectors over a period of time as well as those have become more um, viable for us to try and find investment opportunities within. So, for example, resources, um, the waste sector, agriculture has become an increasingly strong focus. So, you can Mm -hmm. see that while that focus on emissions and um, energy, you know, improvements with the view to to decarbonising Australia and to catalysing the flow of finance into that sector has remained completely unchanged. Over time, we've evolved as to the sort of um, sectors where we've been able to to make investments. And it's true as well that the way in which we've invested in terms of the investment products has evolved too. Mm-hmm. So we started out, as you'd expect, with quite a strong DNA around project financing for things like wind and solar. But mm-hmm. pretty quickly, that evolved as we realized that we needed to do more than just that type of financing. When I started... Um, you know, we, we, for instance, we picked up activity around things like um, investing to try and support consumers in their journey around decarbonisation for things like zero emission vehicles and household mm-hmm. finance mm-hmm. Um, for energy upgrades. And that's expanded over time to include things like uh, equity investments in large unlisted funds who, ha- who have significant assets that have a significant transition task. And that itself has been across a range of sectors. So we've made mm-hmm. um, investments in unlisted REITs in the property sector, but equally in the agri sector and in infrastructure. And we've now moved into areas which, you know, if you'd asked me eight years ago, would we ever be doing, you know, investments in the private equity sector? I probably would have uh, <laughs> probably would have laughed and said, uh, mm-hmm. not not anytime soon. But here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and in fact, there are some really exciting opportunities in those types of places. So. You know, we do see quite an expansion in the type of investment product as well as mm-hmm. the sectors that we've invested in. 
it's true too that um, the mandate has evolved somewhat um, in response to or alongside the different focus of the the, the various federal governments that have been administering um, energy and transition policy in the country. And that, that has been, as you can imagine, a whole journey in and of itself. Mm. There's always been a very strong desire within the organisation to try and be that catalyst for finance, though. Mm-hmm. And there is always a role for an organisation like CEFC to try and lead capital in. So to give you mm-hmm. an example, the very first deal that we ever did uh, was an investment into an existing wind farm, which was badly mm-hmm. in need of refinance, um, and the deal was fully contracted um, with the power being purchased by one of the large energy retailers. Over time, you know, we obviously moved then to do construction of new wind farms and solar farms just, just in, that, in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started to um, have a need for transactions that weren't fully contracted for the sale of the power, so involving what we call merchant risk. And that was a space where um, the existing banks just couldn't do it. Mm. They didn't have the risk settings. They weren't comfortable. Over time, that's changed. And so the sort of deals that we were doing, you know, uh, eight, um, uh, seven years ago, Mm -hmm. um, banks are now doing with a reasonable, reasonably high degree of frequency and comfort. And we've moved on to doing deals, for example, which are fully merchant. So you can see the market sort of evolving and, and, and our capital moving outwards in a series of concentric circles to the more challenging areas where capital needs to be crowded in. And eventually, um, you know, we like to think that the market follows us. And we've seen that same pattern across a number of other different sectors as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what we'd like to continue to, to, to try and do. Yeah, I think um, I've been doing this for a little bit longer than you've been at the CEFC. But I think if, you know, sort of get to the day where, you know, $100 million transactions were just another day at the office is something that uh, maybe we couldn't have foreseen <laughs> yeah, that's 10 right. years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we did 35 transactions last year. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was um, that's certainly different to, to when I started. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, the number of deals, diversity of deals. Mm-hmm. Range of size, range of counterparties mm-hmm. have all increased massively, but the core, obviously, the core purposes remain the same, mm-hmm. and and the approach taken um, has remained pretty consistent in a lot of ways. You've uh, you've sort of referenced the the uh, ups and downs and and changes of federal of uh, with federal governments uh, through the tenure of the CEFC, but this current federal government um, has given the CEFC a significant role um, in the sustainable finance strategy and a new infusion of capital to invest through uh, through the federal budget. What does this say about the role that the CEFC plays as Australia's green investment bank? I think there's a recognition, which, which certainly goes um, back further than just the current government. But I think mm. I think it, what it reflects is a recognition that the CFC can perform in a reasonably varied range of of policy um, roles uh, mm-hmm. to support the transition. And so, ultimately, we're a financier as our primary objective. But um, and maybe we'll chat about this later. But there but there mm. are a range of other sort of um, other things that we can bring to the table. The additional funding is quite interesting because it's targeting some of the really big thorny challenges in the energy mm-hmm. transition for Australia. So the, the capability of the electricity transmission um, sector and the grid to mm-hmm. be able to handle the, the, the quantity of renewables to replace ultimately fossil fuels is a big hurdle to overcome. And so mm-hmm. the government has quite rightly paid a lot of attention to that. And, and that's mm-hmm. what the whole rewiring the nation 
policy setting is around and, and where where um, we have a team of people who are working away incredibly hard to to implement that policy and to try mm. and support that improvement to the grid. Um, equally, you know, the, the, the government has provided funding and, and a level of focus around upgrades to existing residential dwellings under mm-hmm. a policy called the Household Energy Upgrades Fund. And so it, I think those two different policies are, are quite interesting because they reflect different sectors, somewhat different approaches um, mm-hmm. as to how you invest, different timeframes, um, different investment products and so forth. But equally, they're both aimed at this challenge of supporting the energy transition. Um, mm. They both involve finance, um, and those sorts of approaches were called out in the sustainable finance strategy, which you mentioned. I think one thing that this government is working away very diligently on is trying to bring a lot of these endeavours together in a relatively cohesive whole mm-hmm. approach. And, mm-hmm. and, and the sustainable finance strategy is somewhat. Um, well, it's a critical part of that. So it includes work around things like taxonomies, the government's own green bond, um, mm-hmm. you know, a range of other initiatives. So I think, you know, what those things suggest is that the CFC can play a really important role to act um, as a means of government trying to bring private sector along with it, support it. Um, unlock key challenges, which otherwise might be tricky to unlock if you didn't have that financing slash green bank capability. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really exciting, and and I think we're 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 very keen to see how that sustainable finance strategy can unlock a whole lot of things because we see any number of elements of that as being critical to mm. the finance sector playing the role it needs to play. I, I think I've commented on this um, in either other conversations, certainly in, in interviews, um, that it's really interesting the the fact that the government has been very careful to create a, a joined up approach um, where each of the pieces of the puzzle refer back to the whole. So like, as you say, with the green bond framework, um, there was a lot of time in that paper given to linking it back to the sustainable finance strategy, um, you know, and then, you know, linking that to the rewiring the nation. And so this, this idea that transition and decarbonizing is now central to that nation building project uh, for the Australian government. I think it's, you know, it's interesting to see all these threads coming together. Mm, yeah, totally agree. Mm. And, and they are, they do become quite self-reinforcing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because if you think about the household sector, one of the big levers to support decarbonisation of the household sector is to decarbonise decarbonize the electricity sector because a mm-hmm. lot of the source of emissions for the household sector um, come from their electricity use. Mm-hmm. But then equally, um, you then need to tackle other challenges in other sectors. However, it is interesting, as you know, that a lot of the challenges start to look quite like one another. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we see that quite a bit in the agricultural sector and then in the supply chains um, for mm-hmm. the agricultural sector and all of the, um, the tasks that are there. Where I think, you know, an organisation like the CESC can play a useful role is to find some of those key blockage points and try and, you know, act constructively to unlock them. Mm. Well, we see a sort of an end-to-end, you know, kind of spectrum between asset owners, like people who own their homes and people who own mm-hmm. farms and driving around in cars, all the way through to large sources of international and domestic capital who want to try and achieve this decarbonisation task because their superannuants and their investors want them to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they see it as a risk not to do it. And there's a lot of different blockages all the way through. Some of them are technical 
some of them are financial. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that you do in the space, the more you see what what are the potential pathways to um, to, to get around or, or through the blockages. Let's drill into that um, because consistent to the CEFC history is its role as an informational and educational intermediary. I think, you know, again, one of the more interesting things when the CEFC and then the um, Australian Renewable Energy Agency arena were set up was that there was a really deliberate part of the man- both of these mandates in terms of educating um, the space around not only just the technologies and the, you know, the processes and the tools available, but also how to do it from the financials perspective. How does CEFC's role as this information broker continue to evolve and play into everything we've just talked about? Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting because often we find that, you know, there's a certain level of courage required to go first. And, mm. and you can understand why, because as one of my colleagues is used to be fond of saying it's not the first mouse that gets the cheese but <laughs> if you have a certain amount of courage you can actually get I mean and this is obvious right you can get a first mover advantage sure um, but what's really important and what we, we really do try and encourage our counterparties to do is mm. to share the learnings um, in ways that you know that we don't force them to disclose confidential information, but what we mm. do is we strongly encourage them to try and share their learning so that the industry as a whole can benefit. And that, mm-hmm. and and in fact, it's a really it's quite a useful thought process because generally speaking, a lot of the activities that individual companies might undertake to try and achieve decarbonisation, it's actually much better for them if a mm. whole lot of their peers are doing the same thing. Because mm-hmm. you achieve economies of scale around supply chain, mm-hmm. um, you achieve um, price reductions in equipment, um, you skill up um, all of the necessary parts of the economy to try and support it. And so we see that information sharing task is actually being a bit of a virtuous circle. Mm-hmm. Gen- I mean, people are often quite cagey about sharing information about how they've done new things, but, but invariably as, the, as they get into it, they start to realise that it's better to try and share how these things are being achieved because, you know, there's mutual benefit um, mm-hmm. to everybody. There's, there's, there's real opportunities for win-wins, which is quite rare. Mm. And so that's really exciting. Um, we, we like to try and broker exchange of that information. We do work closely with organisations like Arena. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of um, work going on in terms of how we can use the data that's being captured um, through a lot of the transactions that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and inform those processes. You know, we talk to people like the energy market operator around how we should be doing things in a household level. Mm-hmm. So an enormous number of different um, ways in which we can try and do that. And as you say, it, it feeds into the sustainable finance strategy through work supporting things like the taxonomy um, mm-hmm. as an example of um, you know, how to think about the technical economic activities and, and what's sufficient and um, what, what should be considered in or out of of a sustainable finance strategy. Mm. I think it's really interesting, Richard. And again, you know, um, the fact that, you know, you're going from, you know, with CEFC sitting on um, sort of the the working group of the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute, which is sort of that coordinating body for the development of the taxonomy, straight down to, you know, consumer facing case studies that would be useful for, you know, a small business that wants to, you know, electrify its its car fleet. That's that's an enormous number of stakeholders to talk to at a varying degree of levels of you know need and expertise um and and sort of 
facility with some of the the language of green finance. That's, you know, that's that's quite a lot to 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 put out from that information perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you have to tailor the message to the yeah. audiences that you're trying to reach too. I mean, we're yeah. we 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 we're respectful of the fact that ultimately we're a wholesale financier and so we don't um you won't see us advertising on, you know, on bus sides of buses or, you know, mm. daily news. But you you know, we do try and leverage off uh counterparties that we deal with who have that kind mm. of reach um and to share that sort of information. But Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. The taxonomy is, a, you know, a really fascinating piece of work. So, I'm I'm on the technical experts group for the taxonomy um, sort of uh, steering um, process. But then, the sector specialists that we have that do substantial work in sectors like agriculture and the built environment are members of the separate working groups associated with those individual um, economic activities, and and so we see that as being really valuable. Um, for us to try and inform those processes based on the early stage investments that we've done, um, and likewise for us then to be able to think about how to support the fin- uh, to support the taxonomy through its usage uh, mm. when eventually um, financial products are developed, which are informed by that taxonomy. So it is again a bit of a virtuous circle. So as we come to the end of our time together, Richard, um, what gets you out of your bed in the morning for your job, and and what are the big challenges that conversely keep you awake at night? Oh, look, it's actually um, quite a privileged position to be in, in fact, mm. getting out of bed. I mean, other mm. than, you know, if I've, uh, you know, been chopping wood or something the day before, um, getting out of bed, you know, is, is easy because it's not often that you get to take the learnings of a, of a career in the finance industry uh, and use them to try and really support the entire Australian economy to decarbonise. So, in fact, it's an mm. enormous privilege to have the chance to do that. And um, the team of people that we have here are, are, are fantastic. You know, the investment professionals that I work with are second to none, and and they're yeah, you know, they're all from different backgrounds and with different areas of focus. But they have a very consistent desire to try and do work that that achieves a better outcome for all Australians in terms of the impact on climate. So that's that's a fantastic opportunity and it really is quite exciting. Plus you get mm. to learn a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and every day there's not, not every day, but every week, you know, there's some uh, additional f- area of focus around technology or international expertise or um, different business models, different um, engagement with consumers that you get to try and understand with that objective in mind. So that's that's enormously um, that's enormously interesting. In mm. terms of the thing that keeps me awake at night, I mean, you know, the the physical effects of climate change are obviously pretty concerning. Yeah, and so um, yeah, that that does keep me awake at night. You know, I worry about that um, an awful lot. But you have to try and um, use tools you have to, to mitigate it and that's that's really all you can do. I think at mm. a technical level, I, I think that there are that there are pockets of problems around the financing sector and its and its sort of thought process with regard to what needs to be done for climate change that worry me. Mm. Um, there is a, a, at times a tendency to, for people to see you know the whole carbon transition, as a bit of a magic pudding, 
you know, you get to do all this wonderful stuff. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to go to any additional <laughs> effort. You just you just read the emails that appear in your yeah. inbox and yeah. look at the term sheets that come across your desk, make the right choices that you would otherwise make and, and away we go. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. It's going to require a lot of effort apart from mm-hmm. the cost. Um, you know, there's, an, there's actually an enormous shortage of human capital in the Australian market um, mm-hmm. because these issues are complicated and you can't just um, retask somebody who previously was doing something completely different say okay now do do what you were doing before but do it just flawlessly from an ESG and emissions perspective you have to takes time and effort Mm. Um, and I think the sooner that people come to a full appreciation of that the better Mm. because there is a bit of this tendency to think oh well yeah this will be okay. People will people will show me these choices, and I'll pick the one that's best, and that's actually all that's required. No, I mean you've got to do work, and it's going to mm. cost. It's going to mm. cost a lot of money. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bit like I say to my beloved mother. You know, when she complains about getting old, you know, the only thing you can say about it is that the alternative is a whole lot worse. Yeah, like if, if, yeah, if yeah. you think if you think this is hard, try doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. If you, th- if you don't like the cost of the energy transition, you know, carbon yeah. transition, wait until you see what the alternative looks like. Right. You know, that's that's right. not great. So, yeah, yeah I, I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of things, but but it is yeah. an enormous privilege. And I think it's, yeah. um, it's highlighted for me how everybody should be trying to do as much as they can within their roles because it's pretty, you know, it's pretty good. It's good fun. Mm. Excellent. All right. I think let's end on that note. Richard Lovell of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. Here's to the next 10 years of Australia's Green Investment Bank. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbackis. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.